Blackbird episode number 50. My name is James, and today I am joined by Andrew, better known as Popular Liberty. You know him from the King Pilled chat, you know him from his own YouTube channel, and you know him from just about every other podcast in this space. He is the developer of a theory framework, something like that, called Archotropism, which I wrote about a couple of weeks ago. If you would like to check that out, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to get updates for everything that I write, then certainly you should be signed up with your email address at blackbirdpodcast.com. I don't have a whole lot of intro for this. I do have an ad for you. It's a new sponsor. It's called Football Insider Edge. I remember when I was little, my dad would go to a bar with his friends every week and play fantasy football. This was back in the 80s. I didn't understand it then. Uh, To be honest, I still don't understand it. But one thing I do like is having a little fun, placing bets, and hopefully making some money. If you love playing fantasy football or if you're just hopeless at it, like I am, but you kind of like making money, I found the perfect resource for you. Go to footballinsideredge.com. Use offer code BLACKBIRD at checkout to get signed up. You get 20% off your monthly or full season plan. Whether you play for the entire season, whether you're focused on DraftKings and FanDuel contests, or you just like to make the occasional wager, Football Insider Edge provides you with research tools and in-depth analysis to take your game to the next level. With their proprietary model, matchup charts, and award-winning content, the team at Football Insider Edge have devoted themselves to educating their subscribers, helping them improve their play, and in a few special moments, winning life-changing money. These guys are super proud of the community they built around their fantasy football hobby. They've got a Slack chat where they directly interact with their clientele. They take great pride in helping others achieve the goal of becoming better fantasy players. And once again, for listeners of this show, they're offering a 20% discount on any monthly or full season plan. If you're into fantasy football or would like to be, head over to footballinsideredge.com. Use offer code BLACKBIRD at checkout to get signed up today. And with that, popular liberty. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, James, it's good to see you. All right, so this is the first time we've ever talked. You've been kind of making the rounds on podcasts for the last several months talking about your archetropism theory. Uh, So we can Mm -hmm. probably get into that a little bit and some new stuff. And I've kind of just in passing heard some things recently that I wanted to get your get your take on. Before we do that, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience so that they know who we're talking to. Hi, I'm Andrew and I'm an addict. I mean, oh, oops, wrong. Uh, <laughs> wrong, wrong support group. Yeah, wrong support group. No, I'm a problem child. Uh, you know, I'm just a guy with a podcast and I made this you know framework for helping to understand power. This is something I've been kind of working on since 2017 to try to help libertarians understand, hey, there's this other side of, you know, I guess you could call it economics that, you know, you know and uh, you've been kind of ignoring it for 50 years and this is why you've gotten nowhere because all of, all of your strategies are kind of designed around, you know, 95% of economics and the this other 5% right over here is what I'm trying to talk about with the archotropism framework, which is a mixture of thermodynamics and economics. Huh, nice. And it's, but when you're talking economics, you're not talking charts and graphs. You're talking praxeology, right? Yeah, praxeology. Okay. Good. Just wanted to clear Austrian that up. stuff, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, technically, 
or nominally, this isn't a libertarian podcast. So maybe some of my viewers or listeners don't know anything about, about that. So maybe we can get into that a little mm-hmm. bit too. Uh, I know you talk a lot about time preference for power. Do you want to start there? Is that a, is that a good place to start or do you want to start somewhere else? I usually start with the idea that the, uh, you know, uh, power has value. You know, that, that idea of, co- you know, I can coerce you to give me stuff. Yeah. That's the value of it. And, you know, this is something that, you know, uh, libertarians kind of, they like to hand wave it away as, oh, well, that's evil. And okay, sure, it is. And it is evil. There's no getting around that. But, you know, you, calling it evil doesn't really stop it from mm-hmm. having value. And the, uh, that's why people do it. It's why we have states. So if you understand that, you know, some, you know from the, like a Misesian standpoint, that anything that has value will be done to the maximum of that value, you know, because you have the human action axiom that, uh, you know, basically uh, people, you know, humans try to, they use means over time to, you know, produce ends, so to speak. And I, I just summarized it. I didn't say it exactly, but you understand that. Well, okay. You can also logically deduce that they're going to, you know, try to use the, the, the least amount of means to get the most amount of ends. You know, it's they're, they're, they're economizing, they're, mm-hmm. they're maximizing. So, okay, well, they're going the uh, if you, something has value, there you know the state, you know, which is the hierarchy for that value, you know, it's going to you know the state, you know, people are going to you know do this aggressive behavior to the point where it is a profit maximizer. They're going they're going to do it the least amount to, to where they get the most bang. They want to get the most bang for their buck, and just calling that evil, it doesn't stop. They're still going to yeah. do it. So. That's where I usually start. And of course, you know, the, the idea of hierarchy comes from the idea that, hey, we're going to, you know, we, we, we want to collectivize as a species so we can get stuff done and we want to work together. And so the way that ends up happening is that, well, when you come together, you can't quite democratize that. It doesn't work. So what you do is you outsource the decision-making behavior to someone who's really competent and understands it. And you say, okay, they get all the, all the responsibility and all of the power for decision-making and then we can you know, work together as a group to organize and uh, be, product- be a lot more productive. So if you understand that these two are essential behaviors to all human, you know, to what, not, oh, okay, not aggression, but hierarchy is something essential to all human economy, mm-hmm. all production. And it's, and it's something we do because it has value. In addition, the, uh, you know, this, this uh, aggression is also something humans do because it has value. Okay, well, then you have a hierarchy for a state, you know, for aggression, and both of which are inevitable. And because they have value. So what... And uh, this is where we get a stake from. Yeah, so what's... How do we come to a point where aggression is minimized, I guess? Is that possible? Am I skipping too far ahead in your framework? <laughs> kind of, but well, it, the, the problem is, it, you know, it, you know, you would have what you would have to do is make it so that it's not profitable, and mm-hmm. that's a that's a risk cost. That's a cost of risk. So, if you have, uh, from what you've told me of your audience, I'm sure there are quite a few uh, short-term high-risk investment analysts, or sure. as most people call them, poker players. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I've done I've done two shows on crypto trading alone. So, yeah, yeah. And there's yeah, pl- plenty of people. Yeah, poker players particularly will they'll know the expected value equation EV. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the percent chance of, you know, profit times the percent chance. Uh, uh, no, it's the amount of profit times the percent chance of profit. So like the percent chance you're going to win minus the, you know, the cost of risk, which is, you know, what, what you stand to lose, you know, virtually, you know, multiplied by the, you know, percent chance of losing. 
Mm-hmm. So when you, you know, have ag- aggression, what you want to do, you know, or something of value, you know, it's like, you know, what, what is th- that value is kind of relative to, well, who am I going to be going after? Is it the, you know, the, co- you know, do I want to go, you know, predate if I'm a mugger, do I want to go rob the cop or the old lady? You know, yeah, you know, the old lady's way less risk, you know, the cops going, you know, I'm, I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to come back from that. <laughs> you know, the, uh, you know, cause the cop is stronger, he's armed and, you know, he's also has a, you know, history of mental, you know, <laughs> aggression. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he's got some problems that don't look, don't look up 20% of cops or was it 80% or 20%? I, I forget. thought it was 80%, but uh, that, I, I don't know. It might be inflated statistics for us, uh, <laughs> for us anti-coppers. I'm not sure. Yeah. Don't look it up. So yeah, just don't yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah, basically that's like you, you, you want to, you know, have the most profit to go after the people who can't fight back. That, yeah. that, cause that's your risk cost. So it's, you want to have the most profit for least risk. Just to clarify the the statistic we're talking about is the proclivity for police officers to commit de- domestic violence. Which, yeah, that uh, one. <laughs> that one. It's very, it's, it's, it's much higher than the population at large. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Far higher. Yeah. High rates of PTSD too. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and that, I mean, same with, same with military. I mean, you know, it's not, yeah. I mean, you know, mental illness is certainly a problem, um, but statism causes a ton of it. So. Yeah. And that, that, well, and that is to its advantage, you know, Hey, when you have something like the, you know, like that, where a, uh, you know, that's reason for a state to exist because mm-hmm. you have the state, the state can say, well, I'm here to propose to give everybody an aggressively enforced order because if you think that if you if you believe that everybody has the right to defend themselves, and well, and then you realize, well, okay, the best kind of defense is a really good offense, and that's very basic strategy. Sure. So therefore, you get okay. Well, uh, you know, an aggressive order might not be moral, but it is the best kind of defensive, you know, order. So, do you think that individuals should be banding together to commit aggression against the state? No, that'd be a terrible idea because yeah. they're gonna they're gonna kick our ass. That's so dumb, right? But the 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 idea is is if you're wanting to minimize the yeah you know, what the uh, demand for an aggressive order, what you would you know what you would have to do is you know create a kind of people who cannot be aggressed against. That's the uh, that and that's a uh, a monumental Herculean task that right. is virtually impossible. Because think about it, like. What kind of you know? What kind of person do you not want to go after? It's kind of like the cops. So you would need basically a world of where everybody is basically as aggressive or as defensive as a cop, you know, or uh, they're as unaggressible as a cop. And you know, it's not that a cop can't be killed or can't be attacked, but you know, there's quite a lot of risk there. And if everyone was like that, then you know, you you know, wouldn't really have a need for aggression. You know, at, at, or for an aggressive order because it's just there's too much. You know, the, the aggression itself does not have mm-hmm. value because the, the risk cost of from the other side of the EV is too high. And but that, therein lies the uh, you know that the problem is that you know getting humans to not be you know to, to be unaggressive, to be strong mm-hmm. and courageous and well armed and know how and trained. This is a real tall task. Do you put any stock in those cyclical views of history where? I mean, it's that strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create bad times, bad times create strong men, that kind oh, yeah. of thing. But also, I mean, it, it like uh, Vin Armani has, has popularized uh, another cyclical view, which is pretty similar, but uh, it uses archetypes instead of instead of just that slogan. Yeah, the four all, turnings. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, the four turnings as well. Yeah, 
quite a few different ones. Yeah, I, I have a climate cycle too that I subscribe to. That oh, you know, really? if you go through human history, you know, all of the uh, really bad times where states get their heads cut off is like climate change. Mm-hmm. This is why the state right now is like fucking terrified, is because oh. we're at the end of one of one of those climate cycles right now. It's a warming cycle. Usually, when it gets really cold, you know, agriculture gets tough, you know, because it's cold and plants don't like that sure. and. So it gets, you know, so people get hungry and when they're hungry, they get hangry and, uh, you know, King gets his head cut off. Or, you know, or alternatively, a smarter King will say, it's their fault. Let's go invade them and take their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you get war. So yeah. it's, the, uh, it's like one of two options. You're, you're either the smart King who understands that it's the other guy's problem, not mine. <laughs> for me. <laughs> and, or you're the dumb king who gets his head cut off. And that's like literally you go through like 6,000 years of human history. Every time the climate turns down by one or two, degree, two degrees, you get famine, you get pestilence and plague, and you get, you know, you get one state after another gets his head cut off. And that's why they're freaking out right now about climate change. It's not about to get a lot warmer. It's about to get a lot colder. And they want the control you know, uh-huh. ahead of time so that they can you know, avoid that head cutting off. So why why are they so talking about global warming so much? It's an excuse for 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 grabbing power. Oh. If they get the, if they get that power ahead of time, then they can uh, you know hopefully you know save themselves. But uh, I think they're barking up the wrong tree. They're, nothing's going to save them at this point. Interesting. But that's the basic idea of it. But yeah, the cyclical view of history, because you know just for humans, I I, I definitely subscribe to that. It has changed over time. You know, because if you think about it, that, you know, nothing quite stays the same, uh, you know, you, you'll get new technology that's disrupted. By the way, climate, you know, climate change is like the number one killer of states, mm-hmm. you know, and te- new technology is like number two. So if you think like the times roads or, you know, Rome really started learning how to mass produce roads and that's helped them move their armies, you know, across vast distances and, you know, slaughtered people. <laughs> and the, uh, that was a new technology. The when we start, you know, when we got like deep sea water navigation, that that basically broke the Ottoman Empire apart because they had survived for you know hundreds of years by just uh, managing to, by you know attacking the trade offs because you used to have to keep your ships pretty close to the shoreline mm-hmm. because you 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 didn't have big enough ships that could withstand the the high seas and they would just break apart and so the. Uh, you know, you used to have the, you know, but, and, but if you have to stay in close to the shorelines, well, okay, you're a subject to pirates now because pirates know where you have to go. Yeah. And when you have deep sea water navigation, you just go anywhere. And that, you know, so we invented that and that destroyed the Ottoman Empire. And then, you know, eventually we got like railroads and that, you know, fucked over Europe and gave us a united Germany, which... I'm sure uh, that was a uh, that was trouble for us in World War One, and then after you know, and of course when you have like democracy, you can't you can't just have one war; you got to have multiple wars. So mm-hmm. we did, did did a world war a second time, and the uh, you know, and in order to win that, we uh, created the microchip, which is all really bad things have come. You know, you know, like that that was another major killer of of governments once we figured that one out, and. Now we have this new technology called social media, which has, you know, has homogenized a whole bunch of different groups. Mm-hmm. So, and this is why, another reason why they're totally freaking out. <laughs> they got two, they got two, they got the, they're at the end of a climate cycle and they got this new disruptive technology oh. that just fucked them in the ass in 2016. And now they're really having to scramble to, you know, learn the lesson of history and not let this new disruptive technology 
uh, beat them because now, you know, now what it's doing is you had all of these, you know, disparate classes of people that never talked to each other, never exchanged ideas, never had a real marketplace of ideas. And, but now you do have that. And all of these people that used to be separated are now all talking to each other. And turns out there's a lot of, uh, homogenization going on where you have now the left class and the right class. It's no longer stratified by race or religion or, uh, or, you know, economic class, you know, or, you know, even, or even ruling class and non-ruling class, you're starting to get, you know, I, all of these different ideas mixed and homogenized into two very, very distinct worldviews. And, when you're when your job as a state is to be an organized minority outwitting the you know d- the unorganized and you know dim-witted you know majority and all of a sudden you know you, you know there's there's no longer a disorganized group it's all two groups mm-hmm. it's like now you have to be the major the organized majority and that's a much bigger uh that's much harder and they're they're not, they're not winning yet they're really really not winning and that terrifies them their job just got a whole lot harder with this new disruptive thing. How do you define left and right? Uh, left and right, I define them by you know by the uh, you know by their time preference for power. I think that's that you know in terms of uh, you know because it's a these are political distinctions. So okay, you should make the varying factor something that is political. And I, I think the best factor that is most predictive is their time preference for for power. So if you have like someone who's on the left. There's someone who's going to really, really want to consume a lot more of society's wealth and turn it into uh, political power, coercive power. And they want to do a lot more welfare programs. They want to have a lot more regu- you know, economic regulation. They want to have a lot higher taxes. And, you know, and uh, they want to have a lot more wars you know, of conquest. And you'll see a lot, a lot of these different uh, you know, attitudes where they want to convert somebody else's wealth into co- their own coercive power. And that's something, you, you know, and I, I call that like a high time preference for power. I mean, mm-hmm. they really want to spend, you know, the future production, you know, capacity, you know, economic capacity right now on coercive political means. And whereas the right, they want to do it a whole lot less. They don't want to do it zero, but they want to do it less. And by the way, let, let, you know, Let's not confuse your know, right wing with Republican. Sure, you know, those, yeah, those are not the same, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, you know, the right generally wants to do that a whole lot less. You know, they want a lot more minimalist. They want a lot more private property and a lot more liberty and a lot more, uh, you know, a lot, or I should say, a lot fewer uh, government programs and government activities. And they, they, you know, actively say, you know, the government that governs best is the one that governs least, mm-hmm. and. The uh, you know libertarians by extension are kind of a, the you know for a more extreme of that where they want virtually zero or zero uh, you know uh, wealth converted into uh, you know coercive power. Mm-hmm. And so, so they would have like an infinite time for time preference for no they they have a, sorry a zero a zero time preference for power. I get yeah. for some for some reason I get high and low time preference confused in my brain. I, know. I had to convert it to immediacy preference in order for it to make sense for me. Yeah. So what about the people who uh, are like the powers behind the throne who we always hear have like generational aspirations rather than immediate aspirations would they would they then be like the super low time preference far right or no, are they well, on the left really or are they somewhere else what's really interesting about our ruling class is that they're all in the middle 
Mm. And so this is something you you see that all of the incentives to getting power, because if you understand that, you know, power is all, power are exchangeable, you know, or at least it's a one-way exchange technically, but the uh, wealth, power, and influence, it's all, they're a one-way exchange. But if you understand that, okay, well, you need to produce something in order for somebody else to predate upon. It's something Rothbard talked about in his uh, Anatomy of the States that, you know, production does have to precede predation. Like you can't predate on something that doesn't exist. Or that's just that's illogical. Sure. So, the uh, you know the 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 reason the ru- the rulers have a middle preference that is that's what's most adaptable because they, they can see both sides and understand that okay you know the uh, you know like, and this is this is what makes it one easier to get elected and because you can talk to both sides of people and mm. get that median voter. And that all important that all important median voter, and you can, uh, you know, but you can also you know, see you know how power works and understand that okay, you know that you know production isn't all that's there. You know, I have to be taking too, and there's a there there is a, a science to taking stuff, <laughs> and it's you know it's not an art, and it's not nearly as simple as it seems. And, you know, maintain, you know, acquiring and maintaining powers, that's not actually, it's not very easy. And so if you're all the way on one side where you're kind of like a really, you know, far right libertarian, you know, and you have a, you know, like like a a virtually zero time preference for power, what this, you know, what this really entails is that you don't really sense that that power, those power incentives are there. That's why you, Mm -hmm. that's why you have such a zero for a a, a zero preference for them is because you can't feel those incentives. They don't exist to you. And so you're not aware of them. And this is a problem that a lot of libertarians have is they're not aware of the power incentives. And this is why I'm trying to push it on them using thermodynamics language, that that's something that a lot of these engineer brains can really get their heads around. And by the way, you know, it really is, it really is kind of weird that you know, the laws of power really do seem to almost mimic not quite, but almost mimic thermodynamics. But we'll get to that and probably later. But if you're but if you're on the other side too, where you all you want to do is is uh you know you, you look forward to the day when we're all wearing you know state issued gunny suits and saluting dear leader. <laughs> it's like that guy doesn't get elected either because you know he has no sense of production. Like those production incentives don't exist to him. He sees everything as uh you know a zero sum game of power and. That you know, so but if you're in the middle, you can kind of see both, and therefore you can adapt to both. It, you know, the middle is the most adaptable position. This is why we're stuck with moderates on both sides. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, think, uh, yeah, moderates. <laughs> so are are you saying that it would be nearly impossible for someone like that to come to power in democracy or whatever, like the United States? I mean, obviously, I'm using the word democracy loosely. Yeah, oligarchy. <laughs> yeah, but the you know the it's tough for a somebody at the wings, you know, to join the oligarchy in the middle okay. because that's just not who they are, and it's obvious that's not who they are. And you know, it's like the Ron Pauls and the Bernie Sanders are both fairly equally rare, yeah, you know, because of that, yeah, you know, because they have no sense of the other side, and you really do need to understand both to you know keep and and acquire more power over time. You're. Uh, so if you're the uh, like the, these powers behind the throne, uh, who understand that okay, this thing is you know kind of uh, you know the real power is actually behind the throne, not the throne itself, mm-hmm. 
and it's much better to be the financier of the throne. You know, the iron, it's much better to be the iron bank, you know, for in Game of Thrones yeah. than it is to be, you know, one of the guys fighting for the throne because most of them are going to die. <laughs> yeah, because then you can find both sides and, you know, and the iron wins, bank you win. On. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's a story as old as time that they, uh, I mean, you can go all the way back to Samaria and, and uh, find, you know, stuff about, you know, the interest rates and the lenders are a problem. You know, they they would still lend to both sides back then, cause the war, and then <laughs> rule over the ashes afterwards, you know, to, to whoever the indebted king was that uh, lived. Sure. And I mean, that's a, a, that is a 6,000 year old. So that's not going anywhere. One of those cyclical views of history is the one that Vin Armani talked about, and I know I mentioned it earlier. It's not quite the fourth turning. It's uh it's based on Indian, like the caste system. The farmers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And from the looks of things, we are switching right now from the sort of politician. Which it's, I mean, in, you know, in the Varna system, it's the it's the the priesthood. But you know, the the priesthood mm-hmm. in the modern church is obviously the the political class. Obviously, priests don't produce anything; they're beholden to their financiers, and eventually, the financiers come to power. And I think that's what we're transitioning to right now. Is is that what you see too? Kinda. It's the, you know, I, I do think I almost, uh, you know, I don't want to disagree with Ven because I think he's very intelligent. He's also studied this a lot more than I have. Yeah. But I'm almost thinking we're coming to the end of the mystical age and entering a sec, you know, the, the, uh, the, the material age, okay. which is kind of, which is, you know, very contrarian, kind of ironic. Cause I see that, you know, the, the myth that's ending is this liberalism idea. And it never works every time, every time it's tried, it never works. And well, how many times has it been tried? Are you uh, talking you, about liberalism specifically or mysticism? Uh, like that, you know, it's a mysticism of liberalism because I, I think it's kind of a myth. You know, mm-hmm. it, democracy has been tried, you know, on and off, you know, for the last few centuries. Okay, Not yeah. to, I mean, I, I should say the last few millennia. Like, you know, Greece and Rome are the obvious uh, ones, the Carthage too, and the uh, you had uh, you know you know some republics scattered throughout uh, Europe, monarchical Europe. They never mm-hmm. lasted, and you know they they like every time it's tried, it, it always descends into failure after like one or two centuries. It just doesn't work. And the problem is it gets too too corrupt too quickly. When you when you reward people for dividing people, you know that's not a long term system. Yeah. yeah, because the reward conditions for you know, democracy or oligarchy is to get that 50% plus one and fuck all the other guys. Yeah. So like when you reward people for winning with 50% plus one, that's, you know, it's like you're going to be hopelessly dividing people and you're going to be making false promises to get that. And you're going to be squandering the wealth of society to maintain, keep and maintain power. And so basically you reward, you're rewarding people for dividing people, squandering and squandering society's wealth. And that can't last. It and never does. As long as the ruling class is in the center, as it was, you know, maybe from World War II through 1996 or so, then that 50% plus one is a bipartisan thing. Pretty much. Whereas since then, it has become so more and more like us versus them that we're only noticing the breakdown now, even though it might have been inevitable since the very beginning. Uh, not quite. No. Because. You know, used to do, and they changed this law, I think it was in 2007, the money that you donated politically had to go into the party first and then got distributed. Oh. 
And so the parties were like, okay, we're, we're not uh, you know messing with the radicals. And it, it was it, it was a uh, McCain Feingold was the was the law. You know, good old John McCain <laughs> was the one who changed this law and said, oh, you can just donate directly to the candidates. And you know, when they changed that law, this is when you started getting a lot more partisanship oh, at, wow. because now all of a sudden people could directly donate to the people they actually wanted to donate to. I thought McCain Feingold restricted what you could donate to candidates. Uh, they, you know, pass it, they, you know, say it that way, but really. Wow, I had no idea. All yeah. right. A lot of times they do it, the, you know, the, exactly the opposite yeah. where they would, uh, you know, they'll say, we're doing this to stop it and really you're doing it to entrench it. You know, it's like the, the Save the Puppies Act is like the puppy holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're going to save just a few of the puppies. And, you know, that's the, uh, yeah, that, that's often the one of the state's favorite tricks is to say, we have to pass the bill to find out what's in it yeah, or something like that. Course. And uh, we, ha- we have to, uh, you know, pass this to save the program, you know, pass Obamacare, save healthcare. And what they really do is just make it many times more expensive. And, yeah, they always use that kind of rationale of this is to save the system and make it better. And really, no, that's that's not what it does. So you came to this, uh, I, I think a lot of people just kind of assume that you uh, you formulated this based on Curtis Yarvin. Um, and no. as it turns out, you had never even read Curtis Yarvin. Never read him. Are you following him now? Uh, I'm reading him now. <laughs> okay. like a, when I finally find someone, usually it's like when I come, I, I have a, I'm really intuitive. I don't want to yeah. brag, but I'm intuitive. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's like, and I and I've I've learned that you know in my in my old age of 28, I've learned that I've learned the humility of usually if I've come up with a good idea, I'm probably not the first person to come up with this. Mm-hmm. And I should probably go find whoever else it is this out and you know see what they thought about it. And, you know, that because, you know, I'm usually not the first because people have been around for a lot longer than I have. And so the, uh, you know, like with archotropism, that might be an original because I couldn't find, I've really looked, I couldn't find anybody who's, who's talked about archotropism first. Yeah. The thing with, with uh, Curtis Yarvin, though, is that, uh, is like, you know, one of the you know, major solutions to the state, of, the state problem that we have right now that comes out of the archotropism framework, and it's really obvious, is a for pro- is a turn it into a for-profit corporation. Right. And, that, and you, know, when, you know, when you have the, the first and the third laws begin working together, you know, I won't get, get into that too deeply, but it makes it really obvious that, okay, you're, you're going to need some sort of for-profit motive to uh, take away a lot of the bad mo- the bad motivations that you know come with the quest for power, you know, like having to go to war and having to uh, really aggress hardcore against people, having to you know lie, cheat, steal, et cetera, et cetera. These are things that come out of a you know of a not-for-profit model of government and a for-profit model of government that makes it explicit that we're here to get to make money that subjects all of the state's incentives to economic incentives, which are much more in line with human nature. Yeah. And, and reality, or, or I frankly. should say much less contrary to it. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, yeah. So, but, but he apparently figured this out in like, at least in 2007, he probably figured out earlier than that, but he started mm-hmm. writing about it in 2007 and, you know, I was in middle school at the time. So, you know, uh, it's like, I, I wasn't reading him and, the uh, but you know when I found out about him probably in the last two years I was like oh my god 
you know, th- th- like this is, uh, you know, like finally I have a, a someone else who understands what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I was thought I was just talking to myself this whole time. So just to clear up the first and third laws of archotropism basically is that value is relative and value is subjective, right? Pretty much. Specifically the value of power. Yeah. But I mean, just like of- the value of every economic good. Pretty much. Well, the, uh, the, you know, you know, the value of economic goods are absolute and subjective. So in other words, it's, that, it's it, the power is something that it only has value because someone else doesn't have it. And you don't have something, you know, something like food, which is like a consumable or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, it has value because it has inherent utility. It doesn't have value specifically because, you know, you know, James doesn't have it. It's like, you know, I can have a, uh, I don't know, my, my thing of CBD has value to me because it helps me and my body. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't have value because James doesn't have it. Okay, Whereas, well, but, but I, I mean, I, I guess I would push back a little bit in the sense that like luxury goods, I mean, if you drive a Honda and I drive a Rolls Royce, mm-hmm. I might get to the show more comfortably than you, but we're both going to get there. Would you say maybe that power is like the ultimate luxury good? Would that? Kind of, yeah, yeah. But it, it's the ultimate in scarcity. Because there's no real, you know, it's value. There's no real way to produce more of it. It's the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, it's a, it's a lot like, it's probably a little bit scarcer than Bitcoin because it, even Bitcoin, it has inherent utility as a pay, system of payments and, you know, store of value, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, but it is, you know, really, really finite and scarce. You know, there's only so many Bitcoins. Whereas with power, because it's all percents of a whole, anytime you create more power, you know, you're just diluting what, you know, what uh, already existed. So this is another reason why the state has an incentive to punish production is because producing new wealth, wealth is power, you know, new wealth is new power and that devalues, you know, the power that they had already consolidated. So anytime you're dealing with percents of a whole, it's, it's basically inflation. That's what they're doing. It's a reverse inflation where they, uh, it's all percents of all, you know, it's all percents of a whole rather than, you know, something that has intrinsic value. And again, it goes back to that, uh, that EV equation where the, uh, you know, I'm, we're talking about, okay, the person I want to predate upon is the person who doesn't have power. Mm -hmm. And that person, you know, going after that person has, you know, has a, a more value to me as, you know, so because they can't really fight back. And, you know, it, you know the, the value of coercion has to be directly proportional to the risk that comes along with that coercion of someone fighting back and killing you. And so like a little old lady, again, is you know, way easier to aggress against than the cop, you know, and that, you know, because they're less risk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's more, you know, that's the, the value of coercion is directly relevant to whoever doesn't have power. That's what it's relative to. So um, if you had to sum that up into like maybe one sentence, would it, would it just be something like power is zero sum and? Yeah, the, the value of power is always conserved. Yeah, okay, great. So that's, a, that's, that's maybe a It can neither be created nor destroyed. Yeah, right. So thermodynamics. Yeah, that's the, yeah it, I mean, I, I wrote, one second, let me pull it up. I wrote it in, in thermodynamics language because that was what was, you know, so it was so obvious that, it makes it so clear. The value of power is relative, not absolute. Uh-huh. Therefore, the value of power can neither be created nor destroyed. It may be transferred from one wielder to another or transformed from one form into another. The sum total value of power is always conserved. 
what are some of the forms of power that you're, you're referring to there? Uh, potential or kinetic. Mm-hmm. Kinetic is obviously that's the coercive part. That's the uh, that's me, you know, holding a gun up to you and saying, "Give me your money." You know, that, that's kinetic. And so when the government says uh, you're going to pay me this amount on April fifteenth, uh, and I'll see you next year, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like yeah, this. And if you don't, I'm going to throw your ass in a cage. You know, that's kinetic. And yeah, there's no getting around around that when the when you. Uh, you know, anything else that is not kinetic is potential power. So anything that's wealth, you know, influence, manpower, uh, you know, firepower, mm-hmm. that's, these are all, as long as they're not, you know, in use for coercion right now, they're potential. And, you know, basically everything that is not coercive power, you know, everything that has value that is not coercive is potential power because it can be converted into power. So. Do you think that Mark Zuckerberg is converting his power from potential to kinetic? Yeah. In okay. Oh yeah, for sure. Basically, what you know, what you see that uh, okay. So you remember, you know how a lot of more uh, voluntarists and ANCAPs they'll say that okay, well, my property, my rules, and so you know that that is an inevitable outcome of the private property that started six hundred years ago mm-hmm. in. You know, with basically when private property started, you had the Black Death sweep through Europe, killed like 60% of the population. The wages of the peasants went through the roof. And the all of a sudden they were able to afford to buy their freedom, you know, out of feudalism. That was the, the uh, private property was the uh, end of feudalism because the peasants were able to buy the buy it, you know, buy their own property from mm-hmm. the feudal lord. And so the uh anyway. So, and so, you know, when you say my property, my rules, what you just did was you told all of the reptiles 600 years ago that what they really need to do to have real hardcore legitimate power is that you need to say that, uh, you know, they need to actually own the property. That, you know, if they own the property, then, you know, they can create any rule, you know, that is, you know, because back then the feudal lords were kind of, you know, yeah, everyone knew, okay, this isn't really a legitimate way of, you know, doing that, you know, doing government. This is obviously coercive. This is obviously oppressive. And it, it has that obviousness, the illegitimacy has that obviousness to it. And no matter how much the, uh, you know, the church or whatever wants to say that, oh, divine right or whatever, everyone knows that's bullshit. And yeah, and you feel it in your heart that this is bullshit and that you're just, you know, oppressing me. And it's obvious, and the oppression is obvious. Yeah. And so the, uh, you know, so, so, but what happens eventually is when, you know, like they know that like, okay, these guys were just military rulers that rule by, you know, force and coercion. That's not, you know, they're not the legitimate owners of whatever, but I'm going to buy my own, you know, legitimacy or whatever, you know, as kind of like a ransom payment. So when, but when you say that, okay, you know, my property, my rules, you just told the reptiles that, Okay, if they own the if they actually legitimately acquire the property, then they can make any rule, and they are legitimate. And so, you made private property inevitable for that reason. You know that they would actively try to cultivate that and try to you know make that a lot greater because eventually they're going to want to you know consolidate it, and that's what they're attempting to do right now. You know, with these major corporations like BlackRock and Zuckerberg and all them, is they're gearing up for privatizing statecraft. So they're gearing up for privatizing the state. And it's going to come in the form of, 
oh gosh, this thing just isn't working anymore. It can't get anything done. It has all of these you know, restraints, yada, yada, yada. We're already doing all of the, all the, all of the work that government is supposed to be doing, like mm-hmm. censoring these you know, right-wing radicals and everything. And you know, keeping and uh, hurting the unvaccinated people and keep and uh, keeping them as second class citizens. These are all things that, you know, uh, the federal government is supposed to be doing, but just isn't. And so, you know, how about we just, you know, do away with that and privatize ourselves since we're the legitimate landowners anyway, (laughs) and we're going to do what's right. And this is what's coming because that's the incentive. They want the legitimacy of having power because if if it is your property it's your rules. So what uh what what comes right after that? I mean are we are we headed for like a Philip K Dick novel? Uh it's neo feudalism. <laughs> yeah. For sure, but uh you know not if we can, you know, try to escape it. There's, you know, that's what I you know what I'm hoping to do, but there I mean it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. How do you but that's what they that's what they're attempting to do right now is to privatize the means of statecraft. So the uh and you know, it's probably going to exist in a hybrid state for, you know, at least for our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, where we have this hybrid model of, you know, the legacy government of, you know, the Constitution and, you know, the federal government and all of that. And you know that, and but eventually they're going to be privatizing the uh, the activities of state more and more, and to the point where that's going to be a. Uh, you know, it, it's going to, you're going to end up having them as the legitimate landowners. Like, but I think Bill Gates owns most of the farmland now and BlackRock owns the real estate, you know, most of yeah. the real estate, you know, and there's a, you know, it's a handful of billionaires now that they basically own everything. They're the legitimate owners. And the, uh, once it, once all, once you just, you know, finally do away with the, uh, the middleman of the, st- of the, our current state, there's nothing stopping them. And well, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's, where this is going? That's why, if you, you look, read science fiction mo- uh, uh, novels, you know a private corporate government is in every single one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because that's the obvious future is that we're not going to deal with democracy for much longer. That mm-hmm. you know, like even then, like imagine you're on some foreign space world with not that many people, and it's really far away, really isolated. Yeah, only a corporation has the real incentive to go there and, you know, to extract mineral resources or whatever. And they are the de facto government there. And, you know, you can, you know, any, uh, you know, state that can claim authority or whatever. And, you know, it's like, well, that, you know, they can, they can write whatever law they want about, you know, to apply to that corporation. But if they're not there to enforce it, it's like a it's a letter to Santa, as mm-hmm. Michael Malice likes to say. You know, without without the actual cops and the and the you know state agents there to enforce the will of the state, uh, you know, this is uh, it's not going to work out. Yeah, the, the, this corporation could be like, okay, well, that's cute. We're going to ignore it. We're going to ignore your little law because it doesn't apply to us, and you can't get to us without you know extraordinary cost. So. So what's uh what's the what's the best course of action for us peasants, you and me? My training is as a you know cybersecurity guy, mm-hmm. and the way all hacks work is you don't usually try to create a, a new process. Usually, you're going to try to hijack an existing process on a uh, on the target's network or on the you know on the host computer or whatever, and because that's a lot e- it's a lot easier to go after something infect something that's already there. And something infects something that already has 
you know, programs for that already, you know, invades the security system or whatever. And, you know, that, and you do all of these uh, activities to try to disguise, you know, your, your virus or your worm or whatever as benign and legitimate. And it goes right into this slot over here of like a Word document or something like that. And you open it up, you open the email attachment and, and then the virus executes because it, it wasn't looking to infect, you know, just, you know, out of the blue, it was, you know, okay, the word has a type of process it goes through and it has these startup routines and it's going to infect this startup routine and run this executable code, you know, in the header and that it wasn't, that isn't supposed to be there, but it is. And the security system isn't quite checking for it. That's okay. the, uh, that, so, but, you know, what, uh, you know, what I would do is, Hey, if you know that this thing is coming, and this is where, and it's obviously kind of where the ruling class kind of wants to go because they want the legitimacy of power. They're incentivized to it. Remember, anything that uh, can happen will happen if you give it enough time. And something that is incentivized, this is kind of where Nietzsche got that idea that, uh, you know, it's not just that people have ideas, it's also that ideas have people because incentives will find people, you know, to do them because people will get rewarded for that. And so if you have this idea that, you know, okay, you, the people in power are incentivized to privatize the means of statecraft and, you know, keep it for themselves, that is a, uh, something that, you know, it, it's going to happen if you just give it enough time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're headed right now is kind of a neo-feudalism. So I would, try, I would try to hack that. If you know it's coming, get ahead of it. You know, get your own thing in there. You know, privatize your own means of statecraft and then... You know, be, you know, be in the mix when the fi- you know when the final you know hammer of the guillotine comes down on democracy. Define that a little bit more. How do you how do you hack it? I mean, so like you earlier, you held up a bottle of Paloma Verde CBD. PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Mm-hmm. Offer code Blackbird for seventy five percent off your order. <laughs> Plugged. I mean, are Carlos and Vanessa are Carlos and Vanessa doing enough? Is that hacking the system, or is it agorism, or is it just? following Jason Stapleton's program and building as much wealth, power, and influence as you can? It's a mixture of all of them. Is it the Libertarian Party? No, it's not the Libertarian yeah. Party. Not that one. <laughs> right, <laughs> not that right. one. That's the I'm, only I'm one. I'm making that's, friends there, okay? It's, that's what it is. I know. The, uh, you know it's like I'm, I'm pretty friendly to the agorism uh, model, to the uh, wealth, power, and influence model, mm-hmm. and to the GOP model. And it's like it, it helps if you're... It, if you're the one with wealth, power, and influence at the time when the uh, the, conver- the final conversion is made, that's when you're going. You know, it's like okay, you're going to be in the ruling class basically almost permanently, mm-hmm. and that's the uh, you know you need to get you like you yourself are the exploit that you have to get yourself in there before that before the clock ticks down to zero, and right now the clock is ticking down, and. The, uh, and so if you're, uh, so if like, if you're an agorist or you're a wealth, power and influence guy, you know, I would be looking to buy some, uh, some of your own formal territory somewhere that where you are the state, you know, and you can be a pretty non-aggressive state or pretty voluntary state or whatever. I would be looking to privatize your own means of statecraft somewhere. Define that. What, what is statecraft? Statecraft is the activities of the, of the state. It's the, aggre- it's the aggression as a service that people are incentivized to want. So it's not just that the state, you know, is incentivized to have this aggression because again, aggression is what has value to it. Hierarchy also has value to it. You put the two together, you get a state. 
but you know the but the primary value of it comes from you know having a, a, a aggression. So it's not just that uh, people. It's not just that the 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 minor the organized minority that is the state has that uh, incentive value. Everyone has that value, and you see this as their time preference for statecraft. Where people say, "No, I really do want an aggressive order. <laughs> yeah, I really do want to have a state. I want to have someone in charge of regulating this and making sure everything's okay. And I want to have you know some cops. I want to have security and all of that stuff. And you know, I want to have some public education or whatever. And you know, they they're all they're all telling you like." I'm incentivized. Yeah, I'm okay with the aggression part. It's for the greater good. It's an aggressive order that I think I think has value to me, and I'm willing to pay for it. And so this is where abolition gets a little tough. You're not going to abolish something people really want and are willing to pay for. And you know, so it also makes taxation not quite theft. You know, unfortunately, it's theft for a few of us who really don't want it. Yeah, uh, but uh, for the people who do want it, it's not theft. And yeah, it's a, but uh, that, that's it. It's not theft if it's voluntary. If they would have made the same decision, even though they didn't have a choice in the matter, if they would have made the same decision anyway, yeah. it's not quite theft, you know, but... Either it's not quite theft or theft isn't always quite wrong. Yeah, exactly. And it actually is both because, what, you know, remember that people will behave their incentives and then rationalize mm-hmm. backwards. Yeah. You know, as they, they always do it. It's like, I'm getting paid to do, the, to do some, to, to do action X. Therefore, I'm going to find a justification that, you know, satisfies my conscience, you know, if need be, you know, to do action X. So the fact they're getting paid for it and all of this stuff is just rational, you know, the roads and bridges and schools and police and firefighters, EMS and all that shit. That's all just rationalization. You're not arguing, this is the, the, the core problem is the incentive, that they are incentivized to have this value. And then everything that comes after that as a rationalization, is just rationalization. And, that's yeah, it's, it's kind of a cynical view, but it's true economically. So I'm right. That's the that's what I again. That's the the you know again. I, I'm using a Misesian economics where if I, if I can prove it's logical, I'm right. And that's yeah. You know, that's why I haven't gotten much pushback on the archotropism framework. That you know that you know because it is very very logical. Yeah. It does have value, and people will behave it, and they'll find whatever rationalization makes sense to them to justify that to themselves. Yervin's most recent post, which I think is a premium post, so most people aren't going to be able to read it, but it just came out this morning as of the time that we're reading, we're, we're talking. He declares himself a monarchist, which everybody already knew, but he also declares himself a localist. So basically, you know, I mean, the covenant community model that Hoppe yeah. formulated. Is that what you're talking about? Are you saying that you and I should just buy up a community? That's what the archotropism framework would suggest. Is yeah, it's basically become the villages. Yeah, you, you know, in the Florida, they have the villages. Yeah, you know, where like all the retire, the fifty-five and older retirement. Oh community, yeah, yeah, sure. Totally privately owned. They're a pri- that, and there's completely one hundred percent private. It's not. It's not a state. It's not private a security uh, and everything. Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Everything's private, and uh, the uh, and of course Sumter County loves it because. You know, it's, it's basically it votes like three to one for Republicans. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, basically we need to have, you know, the private villages everywhere and start turning our local government communities in the villages. Because <laughs> you want to still tell the uh, elected officials of, 
uh, what you would call it, Texas or you know Florida or wherever you are, that the uh, you know oh hey we're creating the villages because this you know they vote three to one for Republicans and you know that you know wink wink that's telling that you're telling the politicians that this is in their power interest to do mm-hmm. and you know never mind the fact that you just privatized the state <laughs> yeah well and most most politicians are useful idiots anyway I mean yeah they're not, again, they're they're not the ruling class incentives. they're the ones yeah uh, yeah it's all about incentives they will behave their incentives and rationally it does, you know, as long as you find some sort of rationalization that fits their conscience, they'll behave the incentive. As long as you can point to them that this is the incentive. So perhaps this isn't your ballywick, but let's get a little bit more practical. I mean, if the if the goal is to eventually own a village, you know, I mean, you're making seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year. You're feeling pretty comfortable. You've got a maybe a mountain of student and credit card debt maybe a little bit of a retirement account, but you can't afford a village. What's the first step? Uh, someone's going to have to, you know, take one for the team first and go through the, uh, go, you know, go through the, uh, you know, the process of turning this thing into a, you know, kind of a formalized corporation that has shares that can be bought and sold. And mm-hmm. like somebody's going to, you know, it's probably going to be some rich bastard that's going to have to, Get that, you know, at least get that process started to where it can be done. At that point, you kind of just hostile take over. And, you know, it's like, all right, we're turning this thing into a corporation and it's going to have an IPO and you can buy and, sh- buy and sell the shares of your ownership stake in this statecraft organization, New York Stock Exchange or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, this is like Curtis Yarvin's idea that, you know, you, you don't uh, fight against the state. You just, you know, use their own interests and say, okay, you guys are the ones who are in, ch- in charge. You're getting all the shares and they're going to be, you know, on this stock exchange, et cetera, et cetera. And now they can be bought and sold and traded. And it's basically you IPO the local government. You have to get somebody in there who can either convince them or hostile take over it to the point where you can just IPO your, either your local community or your, uh, or if you're like in Nicaragua, which is like a, one, of, one of those popular places where they're trying to have like um, free enterprise zones. It's the same exact model mm. where you're just going to be part of the you know, state and a local territory. And you're saying, all right, this is ours now. And we're going to be running this as a private corporation, you know, and we are the government. Yeah, you know, it's not the, it's not a no government; it's a private government, which is basically the same thing. So you'd need to do it in a place with a weak government or a government with a low time preference for power. That's not that's not necessarily low time preference for power because remember that if there's a time preference for power, it works the same way as debt, where I can steal from the future, steal from my future consumption to have it right now, and. All you need to do is make sure that you know that that you're paying them enough that it's worth it in the present, you know, to for them to consume all of their power from the future. So the uh, you know that that that's the uh, that's the basic idea behind you know monetary debt, and that works the same way with power. That if you can tell can convince them that you know, hey, that I'm paying you, I don't know, like 15, 10, 15, 20 years of taxes upfront right now. Mm-hmm. You would have, and you would have had to wait 10 years or 20 years to get that kind of predation from me. And I'm giving it to you all right now. It's like, I'm sure you can find, you know, I'm giving you all of this money. I'm sure you can find better uses for it mm-hmm. in the meantime, you know, in the meantime, 20 years or something like that. 
And this is what you could, uh, this is what we wanted. And you can just, I'm buying the territory and buying, buying my freedom from you. And is that, you know, is that a deal you'll think you can take? And I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, you know, politicians that would say, you know, that sounds like a good deal. You know, it's like, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're in a cash strapped area, you're in a poor country and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that's the, uh, that, that, that deal might, uh, you know, appeal to you. And, you know, if you're, and if, you, you know, again, you don't want to let them renege on that deal, but, you know, that's something you could, you could plausibly do is that, that, you know, they're politicians. They have election incentives. They have power incentives. Mm. Part of that is they want, you know, more power right now. Power is preferable in, in the present as it is in the future. So, you know, if they, you know, the, that, that's the, uh, that's what you're playing on is their time preference for power. Do you want more now or, or you want a little bit less right now or more in the future? Depends on how long you have to wait. That's the, that's the, it's the marshmallow question. How long do you want to wait? What's worth it to you? Yeah, you know, what's your patience and your time worth to you? So that's the uh, that yeah you know, that that's that's it's, it's not about finding a low time. If, if they have, you have a higher time preference, government it might be a lot more expensive, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, low time lower lower time preference government might be you know more affordable, but it's not it's not a requirement. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I guess the reason that I thought it wouldn't necessarily work in a, for want of a better term, progressive area, area is just because like, a, I mean, Rand Paul tried to do it with Detroit when they went, when they went bankrupt a few years ago and it, it got, not only did it not go anywhere, it got laughed at. Whereas, yeah. you know, I mean, you just gave the example of Republicans in Florida going for it. So, yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the thing is that, you know, your, your lefties, because they're, they're, they are willing to burn their own cities to the ground just so they can rule over the ashes. Yeah. If they're in charge, it's like, that's a real tough thing to sure. do. It's like, you know, that, that is, uh, you know, it's really unaffordable, mm-hmm. but it's, it's possible, but you know, you, you're just, you, you, no one has that kind of money to buy them off. You know, they, they have such a love for power that it's just inc- unquenchable. Like they're literally willing to burn their own cities to the ground to rule over ashes. And you see this all throughout human history where, the, uh, you know, people are, you know, uh, kings and uh, democracies and they'll all go to war with each other and, they'll, you know, one will conquer the other and except the conquered territory is just in ruins now. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's way less valuable than it was before, uh, but they have power and that just means everything to them. So that uh, if you, you know, if you have someone like that, it's like you can't bribe a person like that. You can't bribe a person out of love. That's the problem. You can't, you know, it's like, you know, how much am I going to have to pay you to divorce your wife that you really love or someone like that? You know, it's like, it's like, how much am I going to have to pay you to, uh, you know, stop loving your kid? It's like, you can't do it. And if you, if you have a leftist who really just has a love for power, it's like, there's, there's no real, yeah. Yeah. there's no paying them you know, for something that they love. Okay, so that's the that's that would be the limit of that framework. Then you wouldn't be able to do it if there's already left wingers in in power. Yeah, but or you're gonna have to you're gonna have to figure something else out, uh-huh. and because there's there are ways to do it, and we've seen it done. Like what you've seen done, like with the like in Colorado, uh, when we got lead, weed legalized, you know that's a good thing. But what 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 happened was they were facing a twenty five percent deficit. You know they're they were spending fifty billion in a year, and they're taking in forty billion in a year. And 
you know, and this was in the like 2012 or 2013. And, uh, you know, it's like the heart of the, the Obama recession and, you know, which they never really ended. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. it kind of just transitioned into where we are now. But, you know, they were, fa- you know, at that time, they were facing a 25% budget deficit. And, you know, they like, they're freaking out. They're about to have real bankruptcy. So what they did was they legalized weed and they put a, you know, a seven to $9 billion tax on it. And that, elim- that eliminated their budget deficit by 98%. And so they were in incredible financial hardships. And, you know, the... Uh, you know that that like that you know they were willing to sell some of the liberty back to people for that in exchange for that twenty five percent tax hike. <laughs> you know that's why like you, we got we legalized and a twenty five percent tax hike at the same time. Yeah, you know it wasn't one or the other; it was both, and it was a trade and arguably so, a more docile population. Yeah, and, and again, I agree with you know not putting you know you know generations of black families in you know, uh, prisons and paying for that out of my own tax dollars, et cetera, et cetera. I agree that people shouldn't be put in a cage for smoking a blunt and all that. That's all correct and moral and good as, you know, but okay. But 25% tax at the same time, is like, you can't ignore that. And, but so if you have something like a Detroit or a California or New York, that is just, they are clearly willing to burn their city to the ground. Like in the case of like Minneapolis, quite literally. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the, uh, uh, you know, the, it, or Portland, you know, the, uh, uh, it's like, you, like they're going to be in, they're going to sell you some of your liberty back, but it's not going to be all of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they're, they're not going to be willing to privatize this thing because this is like, these are, and these are the canes of the world. Like the biblical cane is the archetype for the first king. And, you know, I, you, know you don't have to believe that that's real. It's just an archetype. And, you know, if you have a more secular audience, uh, you probably do. But the, uh, you can just say, okay, Ke- you know, Cain, you know, he kills his brother Abel. And then God puts this mark on his head that says, if anyone uh, aggresses against Cain and kills him, then, you know, God's re- retribution against him will be, you know, sevenfold or something like that. And so Cain takes that mark that says, basically, no one can aggress against me. And he goes and founds the city because, you know, it's like the you know, like who can aggress against? He can aggress against other people, but yeah. people can't aggress back against him. And so they like you know, the, you know, but he's driven. But part of that was he's driven from the ground. He's driven from being productive. So you so you have this archetype of a person who is cannot be productive and can only be a predator. And you know, and his job is to provide an aggressive order to the city using his violence. And you know, that's the kind of person you have in the in a leftist is. It's a cane archetype where they can't be productive, and unfortunately, Abel is the productive type. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the he's the productive archetype. Oops, <laughs> and so uh, that's a uh, but yeah. So someone like that, it's like you if you were if you were to try to privatize that. Per, basically, what you're saying is you're you're going to be out of house until you need to retire. Mm-hmm. It's what, like what amount of money for a leftist is good for them to retire on, and all of the leftists. You know, it's like, that's tough. Yeah, that's a lot. So, but, it, you know, if they're in some sort of financial hard straight, hardship, you can probably get something out of them, like drug decriminalization or, or, or legalization or something like mm-hmm. that. You could probably get something like that. Yarvin's, and I'm sorry to keep bringing him up. It just, I you guys him. are kind of similar. And I, I will probably never get him on the show. So I'd like to get, I'd like to hear your thought on his 
So his idea, I guess, is that eventually some, you know, strongman president will be elected, someone similar to FDR. And that person will then be able to, based on his political capital, because he ran on this as a platform, essentially dissolve the nominally executive branch bureaucracies. But in order to maintain the goodwill that he has on, you know, from the people who staff those bureaucracies, he's going to give them like their full salary for the rest of their life. You know, it's only going to cost a couple billion dollars. I mean, what, you know, what's that to me? Yeah. Is that what you're talking about or? Yeah. I mean, mean, that was what worked kind of with the Nazis, which is kind of his point. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's what he, that's what he, that's what he compares it to. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I mean, they're SS officers, former SS officers, you know, still alive today who are still receiving a pension from Mm -hmm. Germany. And because it's an easy way to get people to stop fighting is to give them a retirement policy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd say, uh, yeah, I, I, that is kind of what, what will come eventually. I don't know if it'll come in my lifetime, but the, uh, I mean, it's certainly what's being demanded right now. And you can see it in the fear of the ruling class. Because remember, they're the, uh, you know, they, they were afraid of Trump and because he was like the exact archetype of what they're supposed to be afraid of. It's a mm-hmm. private CEO, you know, which is probably where it's going to come from. He's a yeah. billionaire and, you know, he's a right-wing kind of a demagogue, you know, and who, what, you know, basically he's a Julius Caesar type. And remember, you know, with Julius Caesar, he was from the populist party or populares as, mm-hmm. you know, they, as it was in Latin. And he was, you know, the people loved him and he was a, he was a real right-winger. And who who opposed the optimists or progressives, <laughs> and and uh, you get, and you go down the list. He got portrayed by his own party because you know they're like, ah, he's going to be a dictator, and he's like, I don't want to be a dictator. <laughs> he ended up being that anyway, but you kind of forced him into it, and mm-hmm. like he tro- he showed tried to show the uh, you know the other party immediately, you know, for a long time that. You know, like repeatedly, like, I, I don't want to be a dictator. I just come on, go do my own thing on the other side of the mountain range. And you guys can just leave me alone and we're going to have peace. And they're just like rejecting it. Like, we don't believe you. Tough. We're going to go to war with you. And then he beat him in the war. Yeah. And so as, as like, you know, Trump was like the spinning image of Julius Caesar. Yeah. Coming- well, I don't, I don't know if you remember his victory speech after he beat, after he beat Hillary, but like, I mean, that's what he was talking about. Like all of that, all of that bipartisan, uh, we're going to work together. I'm the president of all America. You know, I mean, everything that every president says, but like, you felt like, you know, wow, this is, this is not what I was expecting from him. If you were of the Trump's going to be a dictator. Pretty much. Bent, which I was, I was, I was totally, totally blue pilled on Trump in 2016, which is weird because I was firmly like, you know, in the right libertarian for want of a better term. Really? Sears. Yeah. I mean, I was in the, I was even like, I was in the Tom Woods Facebook group. I was, you know, everywhere, but uh, yeah, I was totally like, Trump's going to, Trump's going to be our first dictator president. Cause of course I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about FDR or Lincoln yet. And that's the, that's kind of one of the incentives that comes out of archotropism because the arco, you know, arcos comes from uh, two, you know, two Greek words, arcos and tropos, arcos, you know, for for archon, but the, uh, for, a ruler and tropos is to turn. So archotropism is to turn towards rulers as, mm-hmm. as the process of how society, you know, t- ends up being becoming a tense towards our rulers. So, you know, and the way it usually happens is okay. Chaos is demanding of order. Remember the state here right. is to provide a 
you know, an aggressive order. So if you have, you know, chaos is out there, whoever is the one who supplies the order has more power because they have the, they're providing the value. And so the, uh, basically if you have these, uh, this ruling class, which is kind of in disarray and, you know, they're un, it's uh, unconsolidated power, that's chaos, you know, that, and they're, you know, having all of this fear in their minds because they see, you know, the cycles of history and what's coming and what's demanded. And all of a sudden, this thing shows up and it looks a lot like what it's supposed to look like historically. Yeah. And you're just freaking the fuck out because it's like, history is repeating, history is repeating, history is repeating. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And and he's just like, no, no, I don't really want to do that. Can we just like get along? And yeah. And uh, like, He's like these. It's really strange. He's a spinning archetype. He's a spinning image of Julius Caesar, but like none of the aggression. He didn't want to do any aggression against him. He kind of just wanted yeah. to work together and be a businessman. And so, but basically, it's their chaos in their own minds that's demanding this kind of order come. It's like that. That's the That's the utter irony of it. Is that it's their own demand. It's like the state in reverse. It's like, it's their own chaos that is demanding this, you know, new supplier of right-wing order to come mm-hmm. along. So, and this is what's going to do them in, is that they have, is uh, they're the ones demanding this person to, this one right-wing demagogue, like uh, what uh, Yarvin kind of describes, who's going to run on this platform of, this thing doesn't work. And, you know, we're, we're just going to get rid of it. And we're going to, you know, give everyone pensions and we're going to deal with, and then we're just going to, you know, privatize it, get rid of it. And this is what it looks like. You know, this is what it's like, you know, I mean, they're demanding because like, even right now, Kamala Harris can't consolidate power. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but she's like, she she can't get Cuomo out and Cuomo can't get her out. And there's this, uh, you know, fight on the, on the uh, left for who's actually in charge because God knows it's not Biden. Right. And, so and, what, uh, wh- why is it Kamala and Cuomo? I mean, obviously Cuomo's under fire right now, but like what, what's, why are they the... Because he's the, uh, basically he's the, almost like the Mark Anthony to her Cleopatra. And remember, she fucked her way into power. So, <laughs> which is <coughs> really interesting because everyone compares us to Rome. But, huh. you know, right, but right now the, uh, because, uh, you know, she's the real president, you know, it's not Biden. We all yeah. know he's kind of, he's not there. And, uh, you know, the, the lights that that Oliveira doesn't go all the way to the top anymore. Yeah. So the, uh, basically with Cuomo, he's the only other real, real hardcore powerful governor who's been, you know, who can really challenge her. And he's the only, like, Newsom he could, but not really. He doesn't, he doesn't have that. He's too feminine. And yeah. Cuomo, he looks like, he looks like a man. Well, and they're <laughs> East Coast versus West Coast, which is, that, that's yeah. the, that's the age old American dichotomy. Yeah. And the, uh, <laughs> basically the, uh, you know, they're both fighting each other for power right now, you know, and you see this, like she's trying to meet to him and he's, uh, driving her approval rating into the dirt. Like her approval rating is like, she's like the least approved, uh, you know, vice president in like a hundred years. Yeah. And yeah, they, like everyone hates her because, you know, no shit, she's really hateable. It's really, yeah. comes real naturally to us normal people who hate a reptile like her. And <laughs> oh, the, you're uh, such a sexist and racist. Jesus, Andrew, why would you say something like that? And you can't be sexist against someone who's not a human. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a lizard person. Everyone knows she's just wearing a skin suit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, so is Cuomo, by the way. But the, uh, I mean, he, 
killed tens of thousands of old people just heartlessly. And, and then won a Grammy for it. Let's yeah. not forget. <laughs> oh, yeah. And blame, or, and mean, blame us for it. You know, yeah. blame the unvaccinated. So, they, but yeah, they, these two are fighting each other for power right now because they're the only two who can really take it on the left. Hmm. And, you know, power isn't something you ask for. It's something you take by force. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, or you can buy it, you know, which is like yeah. the, uh, the, you know, it that does happen. We did it. We got private property the first time. You know, that way. So it definitely works. Yeah. And, you know, we get a little bit more private, you know, privatized this time around. That's what we're going for. But the... I mean, and the other thing, uh, and I want to point it out because Matt actually said it on, on this show and just a couple of episodes ago, he said, uh, power is not something you ask for. It's something you create. Or maybe that's liberty. Same, I mean, probably the same thing. Yeah, though. liberty too. I mean, li well, liberty is really just, it's a negative. It doesn't really exist. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's the negative of power. So it's the outline of power. Yeah. So it, if you have the power to decide over your own life, that's what liberty is. Yeah. And so it's, it's really just the power to choose over your own life. And so when you're asking for liberty, you're asking for, you're actually asking for power. And yeah, you're asking for the power to choose over your own life. And that's, that's, that's all you, that, that's right. So when you're asking for liberty, it's like, you don't ask for power, you know, mm -hmm. you take it by force, you know, you take it because you know, someone else can't maintain it. And you find an easy target who's like an old boomer who's in his 60s and he's elected. He can't walk, the, he can't block walk anymore. And you, and he's kind of lazy, doesn't really want to campaign. He's not really going to fight you for it because he's old anyway. He's just tired. And, you know, that's the, uh, that's the person you want to go after. You know, if you're going to just take it. Or if you, you know, can find some way to buy it, you know, from like a, I don't know, a th third world government, you can buy an island somewhere or something like that. That'll work. Yeah, they'll go, a lot of them will go for it. And that's the, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's one idea that I think you'll have a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, you know, older politicians will probably go for. Hmm. And, but yeah, the, uh, anyway, but yeah, the, I, I, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. Uh, your question, oh, oh yeah, Matt was talking about uh, liberty as something you, you have to create yeah. or, you, or something you have to kind of take by force. Again, that's that's what power is. You know, you have to create power, or you have to take it. Mm -hmm. And you can you can create power in the form of wealth, and then convert that wealth into uh, influence or power. So, when you've created power via wealth, is that adding to the supply of power, or is it yeah. is it taking power from someone else? That adds to adds to the supply, okay. but it transfers the value. So, so is power inflationary or deflationary? It's inflationary. Okay. Basically, it's, well, that's the way. That's the way it basically works via inflation. So, when you create a new dollar, you didn't really create any new like wealth, yeah. but you just transferred you you just know, some of the purchasing power of the other of all the other dollars. Okay. And so, when you create new power or new wealth, you know, you know, you didn't really, you know, it, it has two kinds of value. One is an economic value, which is, you know, positive sum. It's additive. Mm -hmm. You know, and then there's zero sum, you know, which, it, you know, which is just transfers, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, every kind of wealth has two kinds of values to, to it. Just, it's not just the economic value, which is something, you know, your more libertarian minded people are all very familiar with. It's the economic positive sum kind of value, yeah. which is additive, which is very additive and adds to the wealth supply. And, the uh, and, and it doesn't devalue nothing you know, like my iPhone doesn't get less valuable because someone creates some Paloma Verde CD, CBD. Offer code so Blackbird to check that, out for 75% off your order. 25% off your order. 25% off your order. <laughs> Jesus, I said 75 earlier. Yeah, no, you're not getting 75% off your order. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> 
but yeah, so, so that's like that's a like these two are positive songs, but uh-huh. they're you know their wealth value, but their, their their power value is zero sum. So you create some new wealth that transfers some of the power from the pre-existing wealth, mm-hmm. and or that could be converted into uh, you know coercive power. So the uh, you, you can create power, but the value from it it just gets transferred from all of the pre-existing power. So if the value of power is inflationary, does that mean that if you and I as you know, peasants in this neo-feudal system or whatever create power, potential power for ourselves, does that mean that it decreases the amount of, like dilutes the pool of power for the state? And oh, okay, the- so basically the uh, you know, economic value is positive sum, meaning mm-hmm. it's additive. Sure. Whereas the, you know, the value of power is zero sum. So when, when we as peasants create new wealth, you know, which is new power, that dilutes all of the pre-existing power. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what you're talking about with inflation. Yeah. And so when the, uh, you know, that's, that's the way a zero-sum game works. And this is why the, you know, the left, they see, they see all value as power value. So they see everything as zero-sum. This is where that comes from. They're not making it up. They really do see that, you know, all of this production around, has, around them has, a, has a, a zero-sum component to it. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not wrong about that. It's just, it's the wrong kind of value. There's two kinds of value. One is the economic kind, one is the, uh, and one is the power kind. And libertarians and right-wingers are more sensitive to the, uh, to the economic kind, whereas lefties are more sensitive to the power kind. And so the, uh, like when we as pe- you know, peasants create new wealth, you know, this is effectively predation from the state's point of view. Because remember that their job is to consolidate power. So when we're creating new unconsolidated power to them, this is a bad thing. This is why they will tax production instead of consumption. And it's not, it's not an accident. They're, they're doing this deliberately because you know, it's not about funding the government. It's about you know, making sure that not all, you know, the high producers don't get like, out of control. They don't get too much power. And this was why they, ha- they make those, that production tax progressive. You know, it's an income tax. That's that like the high producers are the ones who need to be punished the most because the state fears them, you know, because that's the wealth they're creating is unconsolidated power. And it's in their, the state's best interest or in the predator's best interest not to allow other people to consolidate too much wealth because that wealth is power. So do you differentiate between the leftists who are, you know, the ones who are serving up milk for people who've been pepper sprayed at the riots and the leftists who are actually running for office and trying to actually take power or are they all the same? Okay. Not really, but I mean, they do have different time preferences because again, if you're, if you're uh, successful in getting elected, you typically will have a lower, you know, kind of a more middle time preference. You're not, you're not high or low. You're kind of in the middle because that's what's most adaptive. Whereas like you're, you know, you're, you know, predators who are like burning down cities and, you know, pepper spraying and, uh, you know, throwing bricks at cops and, you know, looting stores and uh, getting pepper sprayed by cops and serving up milk to the people who get pepper sprayed by the cops after Mm -hmm. they were trying to, you know, burn Minneapolis to the ground. It's like, those are people have a much, much higher, they wanted, they're not even going to wait for the, uh, you know, state to do the aggression. They're going to do the aggression themselves right now, DIY. Yeah, and uh, that they have extraordinarily high time preferences for power, and they're probably not going to get elected. And that, and that, that the uh, the difference is like, okay, one is a lot more effective, and the other is not. 
And you know the the guy who's in the the guy who's in the middle, he's a lot more effective because he can understand both systems and you know and adapt accordingly over time. And whereas the other one is only adaptive to one of the systems. Got it. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, if you think like a Darwinian sort of thing, where you you want to adapt to all of reality, not just a little bit of reality, uh-huh. and that that that's where that comes from. You want to adapt to both system both systems, not just one. And same thing on the right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I because I like I live here in Minneapolis, so I was I was kind of there for all of the for all of this. And you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, I live in the part of Minneapolis that's so bad that the cops are afraid to go enforce the laws, which is actually kind of nice for people who want to be left alone. The South Minneapolis, where that actually took place, is kind of a up and coming area. Which was, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, the house prices there are still going up. I mean, just like everywhere else. It's insane. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people moving, but like, you know, I mean. Who's moving in? Just I have Black no Rock? idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, actually, no, I have a friend who bought a duplex in that very neighborhood not too long ago. Damn. But I run in like LGBTQ circles. I mean, that that's, that's people who are uh, in that kind of milieu. You know, I mean, I, I used the word homeless guy at a, at a party once and I was corrected. Right. I, 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 the, the person was like, no, no, no. That's a person experiencing homelessness. Uh, I, I wasn't supposed to say homeless guy. Oh. So that's the, that's the kind of authoritarian people that I was talking about earlier when I asked you yeah, the question. Politically about, cor- yeah, very politically yeah. correct. <laughs> so that's the kind of person I was asking about versus the person who, you know, uh, is solidly on the left, um, but who will abide and even even engage in uh, unpolitically correct humor and yeah, policing. In, yeah, they're 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 the ones policing this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they're, but they're not like there's the people who are policing it, and then there's the people who will who who are not only okay with it but like engage in yeah. it. Is that is that uh, is that a different sort of leftism um, in your time preference for power? Yeah, uh, I mean, I would say it's. Again, it's like when, I, when I'm dividing it, I kind of divide it along the middle. You know, right is below fifty percent. You know, and uh, you know, left is above fifty percent. And so, like, and you can say, okay, maybe the middle third is where you what you would call a middle person. So, mm-hmm. the kind of person who is, uh, I don't know, just gay. I, you know, they're just a normal gay dude, and they're you know pretty chill about everything yeah. else. And maybe they may they may just vote hardcore leftist. But that's about it, you know. It's like okay, they're they're kind of li- they're not like the real hardcore leftist who wants to actually who actively wants to burn c- civilization to the ground. Mm. They're not that guy, but they're still in the top half. So okay. it's like left and right. It's you know, it's are, are you above fifty or are you below fifty? And you know, if you're at fifty, okay, I, I call you the middle. <laughs> I know? think that probably opens a, a good door for you to talk about degeneracy a little bit. That's a word that you use. Mm-hmm. At least you used it in conversation. I'm not sure I've ever heard you actually use it publicly, but yeah, it's a word I'm that used. I kind of recoil when I hear it. I'd like mm-hmm. to hear you um, humanize it a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, I can call I can call it libertinism or something like that, libertine lifestyles, and you know, it's like. Well, I, but but the thing is, dege- yeah. the word degenerate um, has an implication yeah. that you are going away from your from your birth. Yeah, your de- yeah, society is degenerating back into barbarism. That's where yeah. it comes from. Yeah. And again, this is, you know, the problem with the sort of, you know, degenerate lifestyles is that they have a, an implicit, you know, these are prey behaviors. And, 
you know, a lot of people are going to kind of recoil at that. But if you remember that, you know, I was saying, you know, when I was saying earlier that by the the second law of archotropism is that power likes to consolidate itself from low concentration to high concentration. So in other mm-hmm. words, the strong player upon the weak, no shit. And yeah, you know, it doesn't make it right, and it doesn't make it moral. I'm not advocating it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that this is the incentive. And okay. So and, and incentives get behaved, you know, and they'll be rationalized some sort of way. And and that doesn't make it right, but you know, in, but it does make it real, and it's something that we have to deal with. And, you know, I, I always treat archotropism as a problem, not as a solution. I don't sure. advocate it. The state does, but uh, I don't. So, so is that why victimhood is yeah vic- considered victimhood like a, is a pretense for aggression? It's and so it's like a it's like a badge of honor because it was made a badge of honor deliberately in order well, for I, it's, it has a, it has value to it because now I can aggress against you and yeah. take value from you. Yeah, exactly. Okay, it's a, pre- that, it's a that false makes sense. pretense for aggression. Yeah. So who 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 did that? Is it just academia acting in the telos of the cathedral? Well, I mean, the way I see it, really, is that you know the. Uh, it kind of just is. It's something that has always existed. And, it, you know, again, you know, we can say this does have a, a starting point in time, but this incentive itself has always existed. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, for, you know, since the dawn of time, bad men have been using the sins of their enemies to, you know, as a pretense for war and aggression and violence. And, you know, I mean, that's, that, that behavior of I'm the victim is as old and we need, and therefore I'm going to go exact justice or whatever is as old as time. And that's what, you know, so when they use the language of like, you know, social justice or something, something like that, they're implying that, you know, my, the people we're going up against have been unjust or whatever. Maybe they have, and, you know, maybe they haven't, but that's the, you know, that's like kind of victimhood idea. Victimhood has, you know, the reason people want to be a victim is because they want to have power. They want to have that pretense for aggression where that, because, you know, again, that aggression is power. But, you know, I, I assume most of the, your audience are probably not the, uh, you know, like the, the, the victimhood types. Oh yeah, no. And yeah, I imagine they're not. And uh, they, but then they're just like, they're, they want to have a, a more libertine or, you know, or as I call it, degenerate lifestyle. But understand all of these are prey behaviors because what they, you know, this is, you're kind of marking yourself as a target. And so like, if you're like a drug addict or something like that, and like, you can't say no to the drugs and, you know, or like you're an alcoholic who can't say no to the alcohol first, or you, uh, you know, you are constantly fornicating and you're risking, you know, a pregnancy or something like that. I don't know, maybe you, maybe you're safe and you use some sort of contraception or something like that. You know, all of these things, they, they add up, mm-hmm. you know, and eventually you're, you're going to be, you know, you're someone who is easy for the, you know, somebody else to aggress against. So you, you're someone with a high demand for this uh, aggressive defensive order. Sure. And, you know, this is something the state incentivizes because it likes kind of having these sorts of people around who demand it to exist. And... So maybe like maybe you don't like the idea that you know they're going to be throwing people. You have a state that is going to be throwing people in cages for, you know, uh, like you know drug addiction or something like that. And you know, I agree they should be put in the hospitals instead. But the uh, you know, but the fact that you know they're like uh, you know we're allowing the, these sorts of things to exist, or the fact they're just the fact they do exist, not that we're allowing them to, but. Yeah, you know, I don't think we have that much power to really stop it. 
by because this is a human incentive that gets behaved yeah. one way or another. And you know, it's a, this short sort of a thrill drugs or high seeking behavior. You know, it's something that happens no matter what. And but the, because of it, you know, there are there's going to be a you know state around that can basically be the apex predator of human civiliza- human civilization. And the, this it, it is implied demand. I call it pseudo demand because you're basically creating the thing you fear mm-hmm. by being weak. You create the predator. So as the former peasants who are now engaging in our own version of statecraft by accumulating potential power for ourselves, is there a way for us to capitalize on these people who are engaging wittingly or unwittingly in prey behaviors without being evil predators? Tough. I don't know. It's like, you know, it's like, imagine like you wanted to stack an army. Would you stack it full of drug addicts and you know fornicators and divorcees and mentally ill people and you know it's like that's not the kind of person you really want in your army. I mean, but it seems to work like, for the U.S. government. <laughs> uh, no, they, they, it's like they take them in where they're yeah. but they're nice and raised by two by two you know good parents or whatever. But they can take people and turn them around with hardcore sure. in order. And that's a lot of reason why some people do want to join the military is because they have that demand for order because mm-hmm. of the chaotic life they live. Yeah, and they that's, what, that's, what that. I, that's actually what I meant just now. Yeah, I mean, but they do that voluntarily. You don't do that with a draft. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, that, no. When you do it with a draft, you get Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a disaster, and yeah, it's like uh, yeah, it's kind of tough because you. you you're telling you have to tell you're trying to tell a mentally ill person that they're sick and they don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And that's the, uh, I, I like, I don't know, you, you can't give someone wisdom who doesn't know that they need it. And so mm-hmm. I don't bother trying. And the, uh, I mean, I think that's a Confucius quote is that you don't give, some, you don't give uh, food to someone who isn't hungry. You don't give wisdom to someone who doesn't know that they need it. And so that, so that's kind of what Hop, I mean, it's exactly what Hop is talking about in his physical removal uh, yep. thing that gets so much attention is that, you know, when you have people who are in a society whose like aim is to degenerate that society, which I mean, if like, yeah, I don't want to give the word degeneracy a bad connotation. All it means is like, so the prefix D meaning like away from or, or breaking down from generacy, which is yeah. like the, the genesis, the very creation of your society. Yeah. Uncreating some. You're moving away from that, mm-hmm. and so that's why Hoppe says that we have to physically remove, so to speak, these people. And I've said it even just about the Libertarian Party, like I, I make it a, make it as inhospitable for these people who are not working according to the ends of you know the Mises Caucus or whatever. Uh, make it inhospitable for them because they're degenerating the liberty movement, so to speak. And I know that we, you and I differ yeah. on, on the on the efficacy of the party. Or maybe we don't, actually. I think, I I think you're maybe, an agorist. Yeah. I have agorist sympathies, certainly. Um, I would okay. never think that, I would never say that the LP is going to win the presidency. Yeah, no. I, I think that the utility of the LP is to give, give a place for libertarians of all stripes uh, to kind of collaborate and work together. Uh, if Possibly, anything, yeah. I don't necessarily want to get into that. If you want to hear my yeah. opinions, I, I think I just laid it out pretty well on Jacob Winograd's show a couple of nights ago. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the uh, if you have these people 
it's a tough thing because there's not really a good solution to it because I mean, they're not violating anybody's rights. And, uh, you know, that, and so there's not, there's not really a, a pretense for aggression against them, except for the fact that, you know, this is pseudo demand. It, it behaves the same way as market demand where, you know, it's like I can either be actively wanting and seeking out a government or, you know, a state derived order, mm-hmm. or, you know, I could be, you know, uh, but, you know, kind of seeking them out by kind of chumming the waters for the sharks, you know, cause that's kind of what you're doing. It's like when you behave like prey in front of a predator, it's like, you know, it's like that. This is the way they think. The, I call them yeah. reptiles, but, you know, for a reason. It's like I really yeah. do believe these people are predators, and it doesn't make it right, but it's it makes it real. It's something we have to deal with, and so that like I, you know, I call it pseudo demand because it behaves the same way as demand, even though like you're because okay, when you fear something, you can, and uh, you're willing to pay to make it go away. So because but because you're willing to pay something, that's an incentive for the predator to come in and take the payment and make you afraid. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's a perverse incentive. It's pseudo demand. I mean, it, it behaves the same way as market demand. And it's as when you do these things that make you weak, that make you that to the point where you should be afraid or you, or you're poor and can't fight back, you know, it's like you're, you know, you, you're making a demand for a state order to come in and save you from basically either yourself or someone else. And, you know, it's, you know, these people, you know, when there, you have people like this, like in an Ancapistan or anarcho-covenant situation like Hoppe, you know, it's like, you can't have people in here who are, you know, creating an environment where a predator is going to want to come in and thrive. And the, I mean, that, that you know, cause it's like, okay, you're, it's like, you're at a beach and you brought a bucket of like fish chum with you. Cause you want to swim with sharks and, you know, the, uh, you know, and so you, you uh, like the, everyone else is around you and you're like, well, I want to, ha- I have a right to swim with sharks. So I'm going to dump all, all the chum <laughs> in the water. And now everyone's in danger. Right. And because there's an incoming, you know, apex predator of the sea, you know, coming towards you now because they can smell pay- basically a drop of blood a mile away and the whole bucket full, you bet. And mm-hmm. the, uh, it's, you know, it, there's not a good, you know, solution to it. So when Hoppe says they have to be physically removed, obviously he's talking by, you know, peaceful means, you know, of like kind of by like banishment or exile, but I don't, you know, it's still, I mean, that's a tough thing to do to people over, you know, what could be just a little thing. Like even, yeah. the, even the biblical anarcho covenant didn't go that far, you know, yeah. All, all of these behaviors were illegal. You were just told not to do them by the religion, and which, by the way, was voluntary because no one followed it. <laughs> you make a thing voluntary, no one does it. Well, so I mean, yeah, and that I mean that gets into the big question about Hapa. You know, what happens when, um, yeah, I, you, and I, and you know, our 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 fans yeah. uh, create an anarcho covenant, anarcho covenant, a community based on that. Um, but then we start breeding. I mean, I, I don't start breeding because I'm gay, but you start breeding and our fans start breeding. Um, and then the kids come in and, you know, they, they're they not they're not real big on this this whole order thing that we've created. Yeah. And they also didn't sign our, they didn't agree to our covenant. They didn't swear our oath. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we could kick them out. Well, what you would do is, I mean, it's understood that this is an HOA and, you know, it does have some, some sort of seniorage. I'm not sure if that's the correct word, but... Basically, the uh, you know the way it was in the anarcho covenant was the covenant is tied to the land, and so it functions the same way as an HOA. That mm-hmm. if you're going to transfer the ownership of the property, then the uh, 
you have to, uh, what you call it, uh, you know, it, then the new owner has to sign the covenant. Sure. You know, they, they have to be a signer to the covenant and you can't transfer it if they're not a sign to someone who isn't a signer. So it kind of works that way, but via an inheritance, like you can't inherit the property if, you know, you're not, you know, part of the covenant, if you're not going to agree to it. So it's like, all right, well, you know, you know, you can have a kid and they're not going to be able to inherit the property unless they agree to it. And if they don't want to agree to it, that's that's their right. They can leave, they can always leave and go anywhere else. And many people did. And you had you had you had Jewish trading all over the Mediterranean where people just left the covenant and mm. they went everywhere and they spread out. And these were people who just didn't want to be they didn't want to do it, wanted a different life and just left. And you know, the uh, you know, so but the uh, you know, if if you have people who are like living there, kind of as I guess you're, uh, you know, it's the owner who is accountable for their behavior, mm-hmm. and you know, if you know the owner is accountable for their behavior, then you know he has to have some power to control that. So, or you can, or if you can go, or you can go somewhere else. So, the property owner has the responsibility, the accountability, and the and the power, and those all have to be in the in the same location. So, like if 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 it's his kid, you know, once the kid grows up. Uh, you know, as long as he's living with dad, dad gets to make the rules. And sure. you know, if, if he doesn't want to obey dad's rules, he can go uh, somewhere else. And and if he, uh, you know, if dad dies and he inherits the property, and well, he just signed a covenant, so that's his problem now. And you know, if you you know, you're going to have to transfer it to someone else and uh, or sell it to someone else and then leave. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way that that that, that that's going to work. And if you're going to be renting the property out to somebody, somebody. Obviously, you know, they're going to have to, you know, have a covenant in the rent, you know, in their rental agreement. Yeah. So, okay. So for the last few minutes, and I appreciate you expanding on that. Uh, and I, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I guess the only then remaining question would be enforcement. And I don't really want to get into that just because, I mean, you can, people can use their common sense as uh, to how. I would say a private state. Like yeah. I think Curtis Yarvin's idea. I know you say you didn't want to get into it, but I think yeah. it's a really, really short explanation. Where you know Curtis Yarvin, you know he he talked about having private states, mm-hmm. and you know where they're the legitimate owners of the land. And yeah. if, and I don't know if you managed to buy your own, uh, you know, land from the private state, and you can always you know just still contract out. Well, hey, I have this own my own covenant here, and I'm going to contract with you to uh, you know be the enforcer of it if need be, and you know I'll pay you a, you know, like I'll still pay you like a monthly rate that's probably quite a lot lower because you're not enforcing your laws, you're enforcing my laws, sure. and you know I can always contract that with somebody else, and you know because there's market now there's market demand and market choices in there, so you know it's it's really easy to con you know like if I have an, if I have an HOA violation right now, it's like. They're not enforcing that themselves. They just like go to the, the local the local government and say, "Hey, we have a contract. He's not obeying it, and you know, why don't you come in and do something about it?" And they so send the sheriff. If you violate your HOA rules right now, I mean, can they kick you out of your house, or they can start putting liens on it through the oh. and stu- and stuff like that, and they can do a lot. They can do quite a lot, yeah. and eventually those things all add up and. You know, it's like, I'm going to have to, you know, and they can come after me pretty easily. Wow. So it's like, you know, that's the problem of legitimacy. Again, legitimacy is a, restra- illegitimacy is a restraint on government. Legitimacy is an unrestraint. You know, this means they're unrestrained. They're legitimate. They can do anything they want. So it's like that, that that's the, you know, HOAs are typically 
not preferable to a local government. Local government, again, I always say go, governments exist to make evil lifestyles a lot more, faci- you know, they exist to facilitate them. Sure. <laughs> they're, not, they're not here to punish evildoers so much as they are to facilitate them. And yeah, so the, uh, you know, people tend to prefer their local governments to their HOAs for exactly that mm-hmm. reason. Their local governments tend to be quite a lot more benign and you have a lot more, you know, a lot worse, you know, moral busybodies in HOAs yeah. than you do in local governments. Yeah, well, the local government will tell you how high your fence can be. The HOA will tell you you can't have a fence. It's, no. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a little bit more tyrannical. Can't a gun, can't do but, this, can't do yeah. that, and uh, can't have loud music or parties or anything. And governments tend to be a whole lot more lenient about those things. Yeah. Okay, so the other day you were guesting on King Pilled, kind of. Uh, Matt brought you on because mm-hmm. um, Steve couldn't keep, couldn't be yeah, there. right. It's fighting so, poverty. <laughs> you said something that really stuck out to me. You said they're manufacturing consent for genocide. Yeah, talk about that. Can you talk well, about they, that in ten minutes or less? Oh yeah, I can do that pretty quickly. That, good, yeah, good. right now the uh, yeah. They remember that victimhood is a pretense for aggression. Mm-hmm. They're man. This is that. This is that. Uh, where they're 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 saying, hey, we're, you know, we the vaccinated are the victims because of these unvaccinated people not taking their not taking the jab. You know, we're getting sick despite the you know despite supposedly the vaccine being effective. Uh, you know, because the uh, you know the unvaccinated people are, are not taking any vaccine at all, and uh-huh. they're making it easy for you know this uh, uh, other virus to spread, et cetera, et cetera. It's all bullshit, of course, but you know that's it's not it's not meant to be true. It's meant to be say it's meant to be an adaptive fiction or a lie, mm-hmm. and in order to help generate this, hey, these are our victimizers and these are our oppressors, yeah, you know, and we are the victims. We're going to go uh, go after them. And you know, when you're saying like, okay, you're talking about like a third of the country doesn't want to take the jab because mm-hmm. this, like, Jesus, man, this thing doesn't look safe. You know, this is, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, authorized, not approved. You know, why, you know, I don't want to do it. And, you know, a lot of these are minorities too. Like, the, you know, and the state is like trying to start, okay, we're going to have to start turning the screws on these people. And eventually mm-hmm. there's going to be a final solution, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, it really is that simple. Because remember, we had this problem earlier of social media we talked about where we're homogenizing yeah. the... Uh, you know, the, the uh, classes into, instead of upper class, lower class, wh- wh- you know, white, left, black, Catholic, Protestant, et cetera, et cetera. We're doing away with all of that. And we're doing, okay, you're right. You're the right class or you're the left class. Yep. And remember, they, they had that problem of being the organized minority against the disorganized majority and how that just got thrown out the window by social media, which homogenized everything and, you know, is breaking down all of these uh all of these, you know, what used to be social barriers and and homogenizing everything. Okay, well, now they have to be the organized majority. And there's only one way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is to be the only, you know, people around. And because you can't do that. And, you know, it, you know as, the, as an organized minority, that doesn't work. So you're going to need to get rid of the other side somehow. And that's why, you know, I mean, you know, best case scenario is like, a national divorce or something like that. Sure. And, but this is the incentive. Do you think it's more realistic that they will do like an actual physical genocide where they're killing people? Or is it going to be more of a digital genocide where they're just excluded from polite society online and, you know, with their Vax apps and all that stuff? 
I think you could see some real containment. Like, I think you're going to see, they're going to call it quarantine. It's mm-hmm. like, we're going to, you know, we, you know, it's gotten to the point where we need to quarantine these people. Mm-hmm. And because these people are, you know, diseased and dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. And we just have to quarantine them. And you're going to have, they're going to, instead of concentration camps, you call them a quarantine camp. Mm-hmm. And it's the only way we can keep them safe. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like we're putting them in, a ca- them in the cage so that they can be safe and so can we. And because they can't, you know, I mean, they're already not living free lifestyles because they've chosen to live in these ghettos. They've chosen to live in the ghettos or what? Mm-hmm. Like, no, <laughs> not yeah. quite how that works. Uh, but uh, like, this is, you know, this is history repeating itself again, because this is the incentive. Incentives change as time goes on, as, as new corporations come around, as new uh, uh, technologies come around, as climate changes, everything about the, you know, about that incentive the incentives change because people change, everything changes. And, you know, and it tends to, you know, go in a cycle. And because of that, you know, these, are, these incentive changes are dynamic and cyclical. All right. The second question I had is not something you said. It's something that Dave Smith tweeted. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I just want to hear what you have to have to say about it both from a, an accuracy point of view and also from like a political messaging, whatever point of view. He tweeted out, ideologies don't defeat tyranny, great men do. Is that true? And is that good messaging for a political candidate who's looking to spread the message of liberty, so to speak? Uh, it's not like the, it's not his best messaging, but it's, it's, it's true, you know, that great men, you know, it's men who defeat the bad men. You know, mm-hmm. the, the solution to a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And, you know, it's not, it's not uh, you know, the solution to a bad guy with a gun is not a, a good guy with a good idea. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, okay, that doesn't work. And yeah. the, uh, that, that, that is kind of just a fact. But this is, you know, this is why I asked him the question, because he had been kind of talking to Jose Gallison a little earlier about, you know, the, you know, you might need to go get some power. And I can tell he's thinking about it because the, uh, I mean, right now his like his family is like, I mean, he's a dad who's going to be facing, you know, like, do I, is, is my kid going to be forced to get the jab? And I yeah. don't really want that. And my family, I mean, he's like, he's got, got some protection instincts coming up that are going to be like, yeah, you know, that are really demanding that, Hey buddy, you need power to defend and, you know, as I, in, you know, get the quest for power is going to be a necessary evil to him because I, he doesn't want to have power, but it's kind of being, he's not getting, being given much of a choice. Yeah. He's, so, got that, he's got that libertarian zero time preference for power, right? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't want to, you know, be in charge. Just the, you know, their problems that they would make great rulers, except they don't want to be. Mm. And so, but now he's like, he's, I, I, you know, he's thinking a bit like through the LP is like, how is the LP going to get me any power? It's not. And so that's why, you know, I can see why, you know, when he was talking to Jose, he was like, oh, you know, you might need to use some, uh, you know, illibertarian means to get, to get power, things that are not quite, uh, you know, in sync with our principles in order to get power. And you can say he, he's beginning that obvious uh, conclusion that, uh, he's going to need some power if he's going to be, be able to protect the people he cares about. All of us are, and that's that's not just true of him; it's true of all of us. That you know the uh, you know it, you know might doesn't quite you know maybe it should maybe might uh, shouldn't make right, but it kind of does. Yeah, and it certainly it certainly makes reality. That's fairly 
uncontroversial, uncontroversial might make reality even, but it does make right. And it probably shouldn't. Sure. And, you know, you know, human rights, they should be natural. They should be respected. But, you know, if you, if they're unenforceable, do you really have them? No. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, if your rights can't be enforced, you don't really have rights. And so what you're that's, saying is right? power. Huh? Are you saying Sterner is right? I'm not quite sure who Sterner is. Oh, Sterner, uh, he's he's the philosopher who uh, might makes right. I mean, that was basically. I his thought that was thing. Hobbes, but uh, uh, Sterner. Oh, I'm going to have to read Sterner it. then. He systematized it and uh, didn't put value on it, so to speak. Yeah, because I, th- I think the uh, the Nazis kind of took that to the logical conclusion yeah. of you know oh. my, of the uh, you know society you know, the uh, state has an interest in the uh, health of the people and if you have Jews running around that are terrible then we need to get rid of them and they need to be physical. Yeah, the Nazis kind of took that idea to the logical conclusion. I'm saying that this is yeah yeah it's a logical conclusion, but it's a problem and it's not a solution. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they viewed it as a solution. I view it as a problem and. You know, it's an engineering problem that we're going to need to solve somehow. And uh, the and the, they, you know, we, we should not be doing what the Nazis did, that where they view this might makes right as a solution rather than a problem. It's a problem. And it's a problem that's going to be for us right now because we kind of need it. We kind of need some rights, some might, and we need some power. And we need to get it fast because... You know, time's running out, and we can kind of see the danger now. Like it's like the danger is visible. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like some hypothetical long, you know, in decades to come. It's like probably ne- maybe next year or maybe this year. And it's like, oof. It's like we're really running out of time. That's yeah. why I've you know kind of accelerated my timetable quite a lot. You know, for Mises GOP to try to okay, we, we're going to need to move a lot quicker. They're coming fast. All right. Well. That's a real black pill to end on, but uh, I don't. I don't really believe. <laughs> There's in a lot of hope. Join me, Cisco P. Uh, I have a plan. I think you've heard some of that uh, today. Uh, at least what what my thinking on it is. Yeah. And if you want to join me, Cisco P, uh, you know, we're, we're, this is our last hope. This is it. How do you find more about Mises GOP? Uh, you can go join the MeWe group or follow it on Twitter as of right now. <laughs> so, you know, just, I, I'm is, still waiting to get the tax ID back from, so I can start opening a bank account. Oh, cool. Okay. So you're but, like real uh, serious about it. Yeah, I'm real serious about this. But, you know, like, I, I, the danger is visible. If I'm not serious about this, I'm fucking retarded. I'm not going <laughs> to. Is it just at Mises GOP on Twitter then? Uh, GOP Mises, I think. Okay. I'll find it. Yeah. Anything else you'd like people to know about you where they can follow you and all that? You can follow me at uh, at popularliberty underscore on Twitter. You can find me at uh, uh, popularliberty on YouTube. You can find me uh, uh, you know, basically in the part of the problem inner circle where I'm the main moderator. And yeah, not Dave's enemy at all. Love him. He's great. And uh, the you'll be hearing more about the the, the Praxian approach uh, to uh, that you know and to uh, kind of help using the GOP to get some liberty back. In the coming months, you know okay. that's the uh, that yeah the Praxian approach is what we're taking with the uh, the G- Mises GOP. So you'll hear more of that about that soon. Just stay tuned. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Andrew, for giving me a couple of hours of your time today, and I hope we will do it again. All right. Thanks, James. I really appreciate the platform and sure a thing. wonderful conversation. All right. Thanks again to Andrew for joining me today, and thanks to you as always for tuning in. Remember, if you want to make sure that you're updated every single time I produce a piece of content, whether it's an episode of this show or something written, 
Make sure that you're signed up with your email address at blackbirdpodcast.com. And of course, if you would like to support the show financially and in return get these interviews a week, two weeks, sometimes three weeks early, and with the inclusion of pre-show banter, where you get to listen in on what the guests and I are talking about before I formally welcome them to the show, then sign up for a paid option. I believe it's only $7 a month right now, which is pretty cheap. And if you want to sign up for an annual plan, it's even cheaper at $70 a month. That's two free months. Once again, that's blackbirdpodcast.com. And you can sign up with your email address for all of the content that I release to the public. And you can sign up with a few bucks to get early and extra bonus content as it is released. Thanks again for tuning in. And I will see you on the next episode of Blackbird. Until then, live free. (laughs) 